Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're talking about the letter to the church in Thyatira, which is in the center of modern day uh, Turkey. And it is a, a city that still exists today, although they no longer call it Thyatira, it is now called Akisar in Turkey. It's a pretty big city of a couple hundred thousand people, and there are still Christian churches that are active today. I mean, it must be kind of cool to go to church in a city where Jesus dictated a letter to, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. And what we're going to be doing is we are looking at the letters that Jesus dictated then to ask, what is it speaking to our church today? And so I want to read through this letter and as a whole and then dive into specific portions of it. And this is the longest of the seven letters in Revelation. And it starts in Revelation 2, verse 18. It reads this way. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze, says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. Your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my people to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her practices. I will kill her children with the plague then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the deep things of Satan as they say, I do not put any other burden on you, but hold on to what you have until I come. The one who is victorious and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my father." I will also give him the morning star. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And I've been reading this letter over and over and over again for the last five or six weeks. And as I've read this, I, I kept thinking back to a documentary that I watched at least, I, I maybe I watched 45 minutes or an hour of that came out this past spring. I'm not saying that I recommend it, but it made me think of this documentary. Maybe you saw it because it got a lot of press. It was called The Secrets of Hillsong. And it came out this spring, and it was examining uh, Hillsong Church, which is a huge, huge group of churches that was originally founded in Australia about 40 years ago. And the church in Australia grew and grew. It became what we would call a megachurch. And then it sort of spawned campuses all over the world, and there were Hillsong churches in 30 different countries. And eventually they planted a couple of churches here in America. There was one in Los Angeles. There was another in uh, New York City. And those churches, at least in our country, became a little bit famous because there were some celebrities who went to church there. Now, the church became so influential, they started to spawn you know, worship artists that came out of them. And if you come to church here regularly on Saturdays and Sundays, we often sing songs that were birthed out of this church. But for the last five or seven years or so, the, the church has been much more famous for the scandals that have taken place there than the actual ministry going on. 
And they, the, the scandals read like the scandals that you see anytime big churches you know, start to struggle. And so there, were, there was sexual infidelity among their pastoral leadership. There was cover-up of abuse. There was allegations of financial mismanagement. And so I started watching this documentary, and then I turned it off because I already knew the story, and like we all know the beats of how this works, right? And uh, on one level, it's so disappointing but uh, the story of Hillsong that I, I kept coming back to, and it's the same thing that, that Jesus is trying to get the church in Thyatira to understand, is that holiness in the church is a really big deal. And holiness is just not a topic that we spend a lot of time thinking about or talking about, but it is huge throughout all of Scripture. When God was first forming the nation of Israel, and he's looking at the people, he's talking with Moses, and he commands Moses to tell the people this. This is from Leviticus chapter 19. He says, speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy, because I, Yahweh your God, am holy. And that word holy is a word that means to be completely different or set apart. And the idea is that God is perfect. Because God himself is perfect, he's completely different from us, you know, because we are not. But that when God looks at his people, he says, you guys are supposed to be completely different like me. And in specific, he's talking about you guys have to be different from the cultures around you. You are going to live in my ways, you're going to live in my paths, you're going to be like me, and that's going to make you different from everybody else around you. It's sort of like no matter where it is that we go, we are going to, uh, I think I lost control again, but we are going to stick out. We are going to be completely separate from the people around us because our lifestyle is going to be so different from the world around us. And that is going to be true no matter what culture you are from. We're going to stick out. You know, cultures change throughout history and different parts of the world have different cultures. But the, the way that God calls us to live really cuts across all of those cultures there are some things that the Bible says we are doing right, but there's other parts of our culture that God says you cannot be a part of. You have to be separate from that because you're going to live holy for me. And if you read through that, that whole Leviticus book and then you get into Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, God's plan for the nation of Israel, which is a really small country. I mean, it is, it's not a very big place up here on this map. It's just a little bit north and to the east of Egypt. God said that you guys are going to be holy and when you're holy, what's going to happen is all of the countries around you are going to see your life, and then they're going to want to follow me. That when the people of Israel lived holy, when they were different, it actually attracted people to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is also trying to get across to the church in Thyatira. If you're living like everybody else around you, you're not going to attract anybody to me. But when you live holy, it does something. It starts to attract people because they see this difference, and then they end up wanting that difference. And so what I, I want to talk today is I want to look at this idea of, of holiness. Because you'll see here there's a real holiness issue that was taking place in the church in Thyatira. This is back to that letter we read at the start. Jesus says, I have this against you. You never really want Jesus to use those words when talking to you, right? <laughs> he says, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and teaches and deceives my people to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. 
Now, there was probably not a woman named Jezebel who went to church at Thyatira. You won't find any historians or commentators or scholars who think that there was an actual person named Jezebel. Instead, Jesus was making a connection to a really famous character from the Old Testament, and that was Queen Jezebel. Jezebel was married to King Ahab, who was one of the kings of Israel. And Ahab is, is pretty famous in the Old Testament for being just about the most wicked king that Israel ever had. But if you read through Ahab's life story in the Old Testament, you'll see his wife Jezebel was the one really pushing and egging him on, and she might have been even worse than him. She was famous for pushing idol worship on the people of Israel and killing off all of God's prophets who were you know, arguing to stay true to God himself. She was setting up Baal worship and Asherah worship, which really involved, uh, even by our 21st century standards, really disgusting sexual practices. And she was leading Israel into this. She was murderous. She was a really negative character to the point where the prophets in Israel, who often just railed against the evil kings, spent more time railing against the evil queen, Jezebel. And so when he looks at the people in Thyatira and he goes, you've got a character like that in your church, this is a pretty serious accusation that Jesus is leveling against the church. And specifically, he says that there are two problems that they've got. This character, this Jezebel, is arguing that it is all right for the people to commit sexual immorality. And that term sexual immorality sounds very big and it sounds very sort of vague. What does it mean to be sexually immoral? But in the language that the Bible was written, Greek, it is not vague at all. Uh, this word sexual immorality in this area is the Greek word pornusai. It's a form of the Greek word pornea. It's where we get our word for pornography from. And it literally means any sexual contact that takes place outside of marriage. And because this is the ancient world that we are talking about here, when they talk about marriage, they were talking about a husband and a wife. And so he goes, you've got somebody in your midst who is arguing that all of this sexual stuff that takes place outside of a husband and wife's marriage is all right, and that can't continue. He says there was a second thing, though, that Jezebel was arguing for in Thyatira, and that was that they should eat meat sacrificed to idols. And this is a, a weird one for us today because this is just not a phenomenon that exists in our world. But in the, the Roman world, if you went to the market to buy meat, virtually all of that meat had been sacrificed and dedicated to one of the Roman gods. And so you could go buy yourself some lamb chops, but you were buying like Athena's lamb chops, right? Or you could go buy like Roman's lamb chops and they were like dedicated to the Roman gods. And throughout the New Testament, you'll see that there's a real debate that takes place about, can you eat this meat that's been, that's been dedicated to idols? And in Paul's letters, you'll see that there are times where they could, and there are times where you could not. And the times where you could not were really uh, about idol worship. It wasn't just that they were eating it, they were doing it as part of like these religious practices. And so you can see the connection to Jezebel from the Old Testament here, right? She's arguing that it's all right to be involved in this sort of like, idol worship. She's arguing that it's all right to be involved in this sexual sin, and Jesus is calling the church in Thyatira out for it. And what he's getting across is that holiness is a big deal in the church, something that we've got to protect and that we've got to look out for. And I think that's something that we've got to think about today, 
here at our church, Community of Hope, and in our church more broadly in the Western world. Because there are a lot of things in our culture that our culture says is fine that could seep into our churches today. I mean, the most obvious is that we live in a hypersexual culture, right? Where sex is just thrown in our faces all the time. And what churches have traditionally stood for and scripture teaches is very out of vogue in our culture. But I think our culture pushes against us in ways that are more than just sex. It's saying that uh, there's all kinds of ways that we can be spending our money that should be about us when the Bible says that money is really about worshiping God. Our culture tells us things about relationships that are just the opposite of what Scripture teaches. It says that our time should be 100% focused on us and entertainment when God says our time should really be focused on relationships and investing in others. There's this whole heap of things that our culture is teaching. And how do we make certain that that stuff doesn't start to get into our churches? So I got four ideas that I want to talk about from this letter in Revelation that we can And uh, those are that we have to understand that sin is a problem for each of us. We emphasize repentance over tolerance. We speak the truth in love, and we live in a way that points to Christ. So first off, we understand that sin is a problem for each of us. This is from the very beginning of that letter to the church in Thyatira. And just take a look at this part in yellow here. This is Jesus talking, and he says, I know your works, your love faithfulness, service, and endurance. Your last works are greater than the first. Isn't this something we'd want Jesus to say about each one of us? Like, these people in Thyatira as a church, they were more loving than they were previously. Their faith was growing. They were more endurance there. They were serving people better. You know, last week when Doug was talking about the church in Ephesus, they had the opposite problem. You're like, their love had grown cold But in Thyatira, their love for Jesus was growing. But at the same time, there's this church where they are growing in their faithfulness, they're growing in their love, yet at the same time, sin and real sin was happening in their midst. And sin is a problem for every single one of us. Even those of us who are walking with Jesus, who are growing in our faith, sin still is a problem for us. You know, sometimes we get this notion that like in our walls are the good people. And outside of our walls are the bad people, right? Like there's the the believers and then there's everybody else. But Jesus never really gives us that picture. Like, you know, uh, you can go all the way back to the the book of Genesis when the, the Cain and Abel story, and God is talking to Cain and he says, sin is crouching, waiting to devour you. And that, that hasn't changed in the couple thousand years since. Sin is waiting and it's coming for each of us. And I think it's easy to forget that we've all got this same sin problem. And if we aren't willing to admit that we have that sin problem, it gets an awful lot easier to get into our lives, right? When we think we're above it is the easiest time for Satan to start to get into our lives. And, and I'm sure that the, this quote is not uh, original, but I first read it in a Tim Keller book about 15 years ago. He says, the church is not a museum for pristine saints, but a hospital ward for broken sinners. And uh, this is just a notion that I think we have to understand if we want to be dedicated to holiness. We can never forget how much we need Jesus' redemption every day. It wasn't like we met Jesus and suddenly our lives were perfect and we never sinned anymore, right? Like, we are still broken sinners. That's why we got to come to church all the time. We wouldn't need to come here if we had it all together. We're here because we don't. 
And the, the more that we start to recognize that, the more I think it becomes easier for other people to join us at church, right? The, the biggest obstacle that a lot of people have about Christianity is they think that they're going to show up and be judged. But when we all recognize that we are broken sinners too, it's a lot easier for people to join our numbers. But you know what? It doesn't stop here. We admit that we've got a sin problem. It's real for each one of us. We're going to understand that sin is a problem for us. But then, once we are here in the church, we have to em emphasize repentance over tolerance. And I think this is a hard word for 21st century America to hear, but it's one that Jesus makes very clear in this passage. I mean, look at these two sections in yellow. Jesus says, I have this against you. You tolerate this woman who's caught in sin. She's bringing other people in and he goes, I have it against you that you're tolerating it. But then he explains why at the second part. He goes, she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. The issue isn't that she sinned. The issue is that she refuses to repent of her sin. And too often, it is easy to see people who are, are trapped in sin, and we let it go. And Jesus says we can't be a church that tolerates it. We want to. We want to be this loving group. But sometimes loving people means that we got to be honest about their issues, and we got to push them to repentance. This photo you see up here on the screen, this is uh, my two daughters, and my grandmother is in the middle there. My grandma is 93. This photo is like four years old, and I put it on the screen last night when my children were here. And they were very upset that I showed a four-year-old photo of them. They said, there's better photos, Dad. You should have used that. I told them I'd swap it out for today. I did not, um, because I totally forgot until right now. And so if you see my kids, please tell them that I used a different and better and updated photo of them. Um, but my grandmother there, uh, so she has been a believer her whole life. I told you she's in her 90s now. And uh, you know she is slowing down as people in their 90s 